Hard to find more beloved hockey players in Anaheim's history than guys like Paul Korea, Timu, and of course, Scott Niedemeyer, Hall of Fame defenseman, four-time Stanley Cup champion. He joins us now. I think, Scott, uh, the last time we spoke was uh, on my old show, Real Kipper at Noon, and uh, uh, it was it was a great uh, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, certainly appreciated your time there, and as I do now, and uh, you were just starting to kind of figure things out a little bit in terms of your direction and things that you wanted to get into, and safe to say that uh, it's it's moved quite nicely for you in post uh, post playing days. Yeah, I mean it's uh you know, the Ducks have been good. They've they've given me some bunch of different opportunities to kind of get involved at at a level that was comfortable for where I was at. Um you know, which I very much appreciated. I've definitely learned uh, a number of things when you're a player sitting in the uh in the locker room, you think you have all the answers, but a little more difficult uh, when you see behind the scenes and everything that's going on. So I, I've appreciated, uh, you know, the opportunities that they have given me. And, um, you know, obviously now with Paul and I and a few other people on the committee trying to uh, to find the next general manager um, of the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, just, just in terms of that, I know, I mean, it's difficult for you to, to give us any details of that, although... Uh... You know, it might not stop me from trying, but overall, just the experience of going through something like that so far, have you enjoyed it? It's uh, It's been a great learning experience. What's what's the biggest thing you've gotten out of it so far? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a great experience. Um, you know, the, the people that we have talked to, um, the people already in Anaheim, um, others that uh, are working elsewhere, um, it's been great. There's, I, I guess I knew this, but it sort of gets confirmed uh how many good people there are in the game and, um, you know, smart people. Um, so I've really enjoyed that hearing from different perspectives and, and whatnot. And, and then really trying to create, uh, you know, at least from my opinion and my contributions to the committee as to what I think is important um, and trying to, trying to weave that with everything else. So it's been great. I've enjoyed it. Um, you know, and uh, hopefully, hopefully we can and do this job well and, and get a, a general manager in there that can continue growing the team. They've taken some steps the last couple of years and uh, need to keep that going. Okay, so Scott, one, one last little pry in that uh, we knew in Vancouver, Montreal, they made changes and they wanted somebody in right away. Uh, in the case in Anaheim, is it something you want sooner or could possibly the rest of the season run out before you name one? I think I think the priority is finding the right person. I, I you know, my personal opinion is that, um, you know, rushing it for one date on a calendar for hopefully somebody that's there for a long period of time, dealing with lots of dates on the calendar doesn't seem to maybe be the best strategy. And I think overall that that is the thought. Um, if possible, sooner the better. But at, like I said, we are just hoping to get the right person, the right person that we're comfortable with, or the, mainly the organization ultimately, um, and kind of going from there. Scott, when you find yourself asking the questions, uh, for you and, and and Paul to go through this, uh, is it were there boundaries? Is there a checklist that you've been given, or is it, hey Scott, what do you like in a general manager? What would what would you like to see? And 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 you just you're open to that. Yeah, we. I think really. Well, not I think. I, I know the reason we're there is because we have played a you know fairly lengthy 
careers and, and that is what we bring we're not experts in um in salary cap we're not lawyers um there's a lot of things we're not um but but paul and i obviously played and, and had you know lengthy careers some successes some failures and, and hopefully learn some things along the way so that really is what we're bringing um you know to the committee and to the group that's that's doing this job right now and um we're sort of free to explore that and um ask the questions that that we think are important from that perspective um and the other people involved in the committee are, are doing that in the same way from their perspectives, which are, are different than ours. So, Scott, on a, on a personal sense, I know a couple of years ago, Kippy show, I be on from time to time Hockey Central at noon. And, you know, somebody was talking about developing Anaheim defensemen, and I don't even know the name they mentioned. And uh, I go way, way back with Jim Pappen, who was working with Anaheim, and I get a text. There's a, Iga said, there's a guy named Niedermeyer that's doing a hell of a job with our young D right now. So, anyway, uh, from being <laughs> – so, I mean, Pat, he's a big booster. I like I I like Jim Pappen big time. But, but so your, 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 your development role, like teaching young D about something you like to move forward with – or as you as you delve in the GM thing, you go, geez, guys like Robotai and Shanahan and others, president, GM, executive. You know, what I mean, if you if you're thinking where down the road you may be interested in going, what what's your thinking right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, not a lot had had changed, or still maybe hasn't in a way. Um, you know, still have some young young kids at home. Um, you know, doing their thing and, and enjoy being part of that, helping coach my youngest hockey team and being able to do things like that. So in that respect, hasn't changed yet. Our two oldest boys have moved out and, and are doing their own thing. So I think as time changes, I, I will sort of explore those options. Obviously, with what's happening in Anaheim now, there has been some discussions. Um, you know, I, I've i been around, but I don't feel I've really um, do, sort of jumped in the deep end and learning, you know, to be a manager, to, to work with a big group of people and, and do things, whether it's on a scouting assistant GM, I think um, even more so now having gone through this process, I, I appreciate how much goes into it and what the experiences and things you be, you need to be able to do. So I, I will not be the next GM of the Anaheim Ducks. I can guarantee that, um, you know, but that to, to say down the road, um, when I have a bit more time or I'm willing to put more time into it, which I think the job does take, um, I can't say what will happen. So can Gord report uh, that you turned the job down? <laughs> no, was never offered. I was never, my, my hat was never in the ring. So uh, <laughs> I don't think you could turn something down that uh, was never sort of turned in or, or asked. So, <laughs> um, as far as the the search is it tied into what you see on the ice today at all in terms of looking at where this duck team is so far and i can honestly say that uh i don't think there's too many people thought uh 49 points in 49 games was uh, achievable are are they ahead of schedule yeah i mean i think it's fair to say we've kind of had to look at the team and kind of when we're asking questions and talking to, to uh, candidates, you know, it gets brought up and um, I would think we've surprised a lot of people. I would probably admit I'm surprised that uh, they've done as well as they have considering where, where it's been the last couple of years. Um, but it's great to see, you know, when, when young players kind of, it's funny how sometimes they, things just click and all of a sudden, you know, they take a big step. Um, it's, it's always not a, super smooth journey for, for guys. And, uh, you know, take for instance, a guy like Troy Terry, that's been around for a few years and 
has continued to put the work in, and um, this year it's really exploded for him. And that, that's great to see because he's been a kid that's hung in there. You know, he's been in San Diego. He's been in Anaheim a while and just keeps working. And uh, you see him get rewarded for that. So that, that's always fun to see no matter what who it is that, that it happens to. You brought up, Scott, the name I was going to bring up because, you know, hey, Trevor Zegers, exciting player. We know all about him. Jamie Drysdale actually lives close to Kippy and I growing up, but a high first-round pick as well. And then yeah. then you look at Troy Terry. I mean, he four goals, four goals, seven goals. Now he's up to 23. He uh, He's uh, the second highest, has 10. Quite often you say, oh, yeah, that guy got to play with Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon or Austin Matthews that year. No, no, people get to play with yeah. Troy Terry now you know, to try to get their stats yeah. up. So so about how much mental about making that jump, having the confidence, and, and, and what else have you specifically noticed? Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's right. I mean, I was never really a goal scorer, and I, I always say, in my opinion, I guess maybe goaltending, but being a goal scorer has got to be the hardest thing to do in hockey as far as non-goaltending um, because it is such a confidence thing, and everybody's out there trying to prevent you from scoring goals. Um, that it, it, you know, I tip my hat to guys that regularly fill the net uh, throughout their careers. Tough, tough thing to do. And Terry is a guy that that drives the play. I mean, you know, he's not the biggest guy. He's probably gotten stronger over the last little while. Um, and then just started. You could see his confidence building. I think for any player, that's important. Whether you're young or old, if if you're feeling good heading out onto the ice, that you you believe good things are going to happen. Um, they often do. And I think he's got to that point, but it didn't come without time put in, without hard work. Um, and now the trick is to maintain that, um, you know, to really put a career together and continue to be the guy that can drive, like you said, drive the play, drive the offense. Um, and he's, he's done that for the team this year, for sure. Yeah, there's a few guys there driving the play, but as far as the pulse of the team, it's still in the hands of Ryan Getzlav uh, at 36 years of age. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, Ryan obviously has been around. It's it's kind of funny to say he's been around a long time. Yeah. I and mean, he came in as a rookie when I was playing. So to, to think he's now an old guy, obviously I'm older. So, uh, um, but he, you know, it's important to have guys like that there. Um, I know for me, I had a lot of veteran players that taught me a lot about the game. And, you know, oftentimes it may not even be about hockey. It may be about things off the ice or different things like that and, and having veteran players around that have been through things is always important for young guys. And, um, you know, Ryan is a big, big part of that in Anaheim. Um, you know, you got Cam Fowler and, and Lindholm on defense as well. And Henrik and Silverberg up front, um, Josh, Josh Manson. So we're, we're lucky. We, we have guys there that um, are good to, for our young guys to watch and, and learn things from. And um, I would say every hockey player always has had, a few vets that they really feel helped them along for sure. So, so KP, I'm going to do a little bit of pivot here. You want to, you can go back if you want, but I've just, I've never yep. heard, I've never heard this answer because we're talking Toronto and Anaheim tonight. So uh, you mentioned rookies. So 1991 draft, uh, we know very well, it gets brought up in Toronto radio. It's the New Jersey <laughs> Devils pick third overall in the Tom Curvers trade. The Leafs thought they were going to fit way, way, way more down. It would be a higher pick. It looked for a while that Eric Lindros, you know, might be the one that gets used. He yeah. went first overall. The NHL wouldn't give the Sharks the first pick, so they took Pat Falloon second. So heading into the draft, like where, where was Scott Niermeyer's head at? Where, where, who had you talked to? Were you kind of disappointed Toronto wasn't in the mix? I mean, what, what was your head at on that particular day? Uh, 
you know what? It was it was a great day, and I was out of the radar. I was you know out of the spotlight, and you know, kind of like I enjoy. <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of my personality. Like you said, obviously the Eric Lindros piece of that draft was was all of it. Really, that was the story. That was what was happening. That's where the focus was, um, and I didn't resent that at all. I was happy just to show up in Buffalo, um, wait for my name to be called, and and you know throw an NHL jersey on wherever it was. I. I had uh, I had spoken to San Jose, um, New Jersey, the Islanders. I think were the fourth pick. I believe Winnipeg was a couple picks after that. I'd, I'd spoken with them. Um, this was the time before any sort of combine or anything. So they actually flew me out to those places, and we did a little testing, and you know maybe some informal type interviews and, and things like that. And I did have a bit of a good feeling with New Jersey. I can't really explain why, um, but uh, I had injured my I had injured my knee, so I missed the last. A few months of the season, Pat Falloon went on to have a great playoff, and they won the Memorial Cup. And he he filled the net, scored a ton of goals, played played great. So I just kind of felt that's where I fit in, maybe, um, you know, with the likelihood of getting drafted third overall, and and it ended up happening. And um, I don't think I foresaw, you know, direction New Jersey was headed at that point, or over the years after, um, you know. So to be a part of that. I probably would have been more excited when New Jersey called my name if I would have known how it would work out. Scott, that was a really good answer, but the better one <laughs> would have been, Gord, just let it go. Let it go. <laughs> or speaking on behalf of the I'll, fans who don't let it go. So I'm just curious I'll, his his mindset. Yeah. I'll be honest. I, I grew up in, in Western Canada, British Columbia. And when I was a kid, the Edmonton Oilers were doing what they did through the 80s. And that's where all our focus is on. I, you know, I'll, I'll admit Toronto was really not on the radar. I, I didn't, I couldn't name probably many players on the lease at that point. It was all Wayne Gretzky, Yari Curry, Paul Coffey. That, that was hockey to me. And that's, that's where most of my focus was, was growing up. Okay, so here's the question. You're playing for the Devils. Your battle's against the Rangers. You're a Hall of Fame defenseman. I don't think I remember Nick Kiprios actually carrying the puck, but whatever he did, <laughs> he played hard. If he is carrying the puck one-on-one on Scott Niedermeyer, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, I'm just going to try and poke it away from him. I mean, that's what I tried to do for, for everybody was, you know, use my skating and, and stick to, to try and, you know, take the puck away from him. Um, it's funny, like I look back now or I'm watching hockey and I'm like, Oh, that's a rough sport. Like that's, Ooh, that, that must hurt. I don't know when you're in it, you don't think that way, but I look back now and you know, when I first started playing and we'd go into New York, we'd go down to Philadelphia, bought like there were a lot of big physical knuckleheads. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I mean, they, they played the game away a certain way and I, I was well aware of it, and I had to kind of weave my my strengths within that um, to try and be effective. And I really now don't really know how I did it, but I managed to pull it off somehow. I was supported by by a bunch of other guys on my side um, that could handle themselves too. So I guess maybe that's how it worked out. And you passed an amazing torch. And uh, j- just a quick thought, Scott, uh, because you were you know the cream de la creme of, of, of skill, high-end skill and skating. And, and today we watch the likes of Cale McCarr and, and Adam Fox uh, on the blue line. And, man, these kids can really do things uh, awfully special out there, can't they? No, I couldn't agree more. I, I love it. I love watching it. Like, it's uh, – they're doing stuff we never even dreamt about doing. I mean, different 
skating techniques, different things with the puck. Um, you know, it, it's amazing how much the game has progressed in that department, um, you know, with some of the skills and the things, you know, people are trying, the creativity that's out there now is, is amazing. And I, and I enjoy it. And uh, you're right. There's a lot of good, young, skilled defensemen that are worth the price of admission every night. And uh, I'm just like everybody else having fun watching them do what they do. Well, you know, we really appreciate your time, man. Uh, Gord, you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, no, we we could talk to Scott forever, but just uh, oh, it's good. He's forever. got he's got to get back to work. He's got to find a general manager and <laughs> yes. talk to Paul Correa. Yeah. Maybe maybe call the Sedins. I think I think they're pissed in Vancouver. They might want to go somewhere now. I don't know with all that went on. No, there. no, no, no. <laughs> Scott, if if the list yeah. gets thin, we'll see what happens. just Gordon and I'll be happy to come out and 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 just interview for like five minutes. Tell us we're no good, and at least we can get a weekend in California. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be wouldn't be bad. I, I I didn't really read the whole list, so I can't say if you guys were on it or not. But uh, maybe it was. <laughs> All right, Hall of Famer Scott Niedermeyer. Thanks again. Really appreciate yeah, your time. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. That was fun. Yeah, Gord. Uh, uh, but but Kipper. Okay, I know you always say let things go, and there's no, you know, I remember stuff, and I beat stuff to death, and I acknowledge it, but so so do a lot of diehard Leafs fans. But I, but I, I had never heard his story about it, his take on it. So that that was that was interesting. Sammy, his story. I don't care about the Leafs at all. Was his story. <laughs> Sammy, yeah. I guarantee that there isn't a 1967 drought if he would have ended up a Leaf. Uh, Was that a guaranteed a cup? I don't know. I, this franchise, they still wear blue and white if he was going to play here. They'd still be wearing Maple Leafs on their logos if Niedermeyer was on the team. I don't know. I don't know. I think there's any guarantees in this city. But Gord, I, I love that it, interview. Would it that was great. Completely. Yeah, second year, he would have been on that uh, Dougie Gilmore team. He would have been in the 93 playoffs. And uh, he would have had the puck so Wayne wouldn't have high-stick Dougie. Yeah. <laughs> And there we go. That would have been the hey, Stanley Cup. We, How about that? I, I, I saw him in ninety uh, in ninety four, uh, and Brodeur just starting his career. They came in and they owned it right away. Like we had Brian Leach, but they had Scott Niedermeyer. Yeah. Like like, that's a that's a pretty close even up, isn't it? Well, and 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 how about our buddy Berkey able to talk him and Chris Pronger to playing in Anaheim, right? You know, mm-hmm. like. You know, getting those guys, you forget. Like, people forget Berkey won his cup in Anaheim. You associate him other places, right? Like Vancouver and Toronto and that. And and um, a big thing he did was was uh, uh, talk to Scott Niedermeyer. That was kind of the final piece. And, and that's the one cup that uh, the Berkey won. Niedermeyer's won a few of them. So it's funny. You just mentioned 93 there, Gord. And it, it's it's pretty phenomenal how long that Scott Niedermeyer played because you think of him on those on those shut down Devils teams and then you think of him as Drew Doughty's partner at the 2010 Olympics when they won the gold medal of course he was on the ice when Sidney Crosby scored he was one of the first ones to go and you know grab Sidney after he scored the golden goal just an incredibly long illustrious career for Scott Niedermeyer I one of the best players I ever remember in my life in terms of just smooth skating always had the puck in control a guy that you would just dream to be on the Leafs eh Gord like he uh, like he should have been if they had that pick <laughs> well should have could have would have right Kippy and, and that's the one guy or a guy like him that's eluded them all these years and I'm not yeah. taking it away from the Brian McCabe's or or even the Morgan Riley's 
but they aren't in that class. You think over decades now that one type of defenseman like that has eluded this franchise gourd. Yep. Stud D, the stud D since Borea Somming. You know, even, you know, going way back when, taking Jimmy Benning high in the first round. You and I went over this, uh, you know, yeah. Greg Barahowski and, and so many, like on and on and on about, you know, just not like here, here you got a bunch of stud forwards right now, you know, youth, great stud forwards they drafted, and you, and no stud D. No stud. I mean, Morgan, well, Morgan Riley's, you know, about is close, but I mean, you know, I mean, let's get more in, in, in Scott Niedermeyer territory. Let's get more in the territory where Austin Matthews is going to be, like, should be a Hall of Famer, arguably the greatest Leaf ever if he signs the next deal here and that. You know, you know that draft, you know, it's funny. Eric Lindros first, as he said. Pat Falloon. Then look at the D. Niedermeyer went third. Scott Lachance fourth to the Islanders. Aaron Ward fifth. Peter Forsberg. I know he's not a D6 to the Flyers. That was a nice one. But then Richard Maficek. Philippe Boucher, I'm not going to do the whole draft. Brent Bilodeau, those were the other first-round defensemen. Like, like, like wow. there's Niedermeyer and everybody else. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And, that again, not incredible. to take anything away from the Aaron Wards of the world. Our but boy, Wardo. What a drop-off. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Wardo. That's over, that's over a cliff. Yeah. I think that's where we are on his list for GMs is the drop off where there's Niedermeyer about the list. I think I think that I think Sam's ahead of us actually. So you you would ask Scott about a timeline and uh he of course gave you the political uh we just need the right guy, but Gord, yeah. I, I had heard that they they want a guy before the trade deadline. Well, and that makes if- sense. Because what if that person's not available, Kippy. You want him, but what if what if what if he's with another organ? If if he's Gordon, available, fine. But what if he's with another organization? Do you want to go into uh, what potentially might be a playoff run here, and you've got UFA decisions on Raquel, Getzlav, Lindholm, Josh Manson? You got to make some tough decisions here, boy. Yeah, but Kippy, Kyle Dubas did this before Lou Lamorello came. He was in charge after Dave Nonis got fired. He made the Phil Kessel trade. I mean, you've got Jeff Solomon and Dave Nonis, speak of the devil, Martin Madden Jr., like three respected executives in Anaheim. I, like, I don't know where they're looking. First of all, first of all, the search in Vancouver was a crock, okay? What a crock. Jim Rutherford's in his 70s. He's going to do all the right things. Say, oh, they want me to interview a lot of wide and varied candidates. I'll do that. I'm bringing the guy that was my butch was my Sundance kid to Butch in Pittsburgh. Are you kidding me? He brought the guy, Patrick Alvin, that he was going to bring from day one. Case. So, you know, you agree? Yeah, I know. Yeah. We're going to get into it with uh, oh, Ian McIntyre. But what do you think the they're break, looking for but... in Anaheim? What do you, like, I mean, like, I'm like, you know, well, he wouldn't answer that, but I wonder what, what is, what is Anaheim <sighs> looking for? I mean, are they looking for someone with Anaheim roots? The fact that Niedermeyer and Korea are the guys leading the charge? <sighs> It's a really good question, and and you mentioned Jeff Solomon and then uh, and Dave Nonis. It's like, do you go back? Like Jeff's never done it before, uh, but you know, is he? He's been around a long time. I'm sure he wants yeah. the job, but I, I'd, I'd sooner have someone in there, uh, and and named. Is, is someone going to show up between? The playoffs and the start of the next season, Gord, that 
got fired? Are they waiting for that new list to come out after teams miss the playoffs and more names are available? I, I, I think they've had plenty of time here. Just rip the Band-Aid off, name a general manager, and get to work. The, the two big names are gone. That's why Vancouver and Montreal struck quickly, uh, you know, getting getting Gordon and getting Rutherford. So, yeah, I, I'm, I, you know, like, like don't go don't go through this cosmetically if you're going to come back to Jeff Solomon or you're going to come back to Dave Nonis or you got whomever that individual may be uh, on the side that we're not quite quite aware of, you know, like like uh, like. I'm, I'm with you on that, but it just seems nowadays the, the there has to be, and I think it's actually I think it's cool these guys with that 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 duck heritage two Hall of Famers are doing it, and I, I'm I'm really curious of what the criteria is and, and which way they're leaning, and I, I hope it is nothing against the guys there, but if they're going through this, I hope it is something different. Well, we'll uh, we'll see what direction they go as early as tonight they face the Boy, Toronto Maple Leafs. Boys, just before we go. Uh... You might get me in trouble with Niedermeyer because he said he didn't really want to talk about that a whole lot when I texted him. So you guys maybe get me in trouble with one of my childhood heroes. So thanks a lot for that, fellas. Appreciate it. Yeah, but we're not in trouble, Kippy. Just Sam. No problem. No problem. Gord started the whole thing. What's the timeline? I love you guys. I just I don't care. I couldn't care less. Love it. Great interview, boys. Pro. He's a pro. Yeah. And he handled himself like a pro. Not even the great Gord Stella could trick him. <laughs> okay. I trick myself, yeah. Sammy, you were right. Scott Niedemeyer was uh, awesome, and we appreciated uh, him coming on. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We got Ian McIntyre coming up. We're going to get into the 12th general manager in Canucks history, Patrick Alvin. Jimmy Rutherford said there's some big decisions coming up. We'll talk about that and more. After the break, you're listening to Real Kipper and Born, show number 77. Nick Kiprios, Gord Stellick, in for Justin Bourne. So far, Gord, two solid periods. Don't, don't get full of yourself now, going into the third. Stay within yourself. Conditioning. I've got a conditioning story we'll tell later on. Included a takeout order. <laughs> no time today. No time today. No time tomorrow today. We, yeah, tomorrow when you have back-to-backs, and I'm really tired. Okay. No time today. Plenty of time for Ian McIntyre, Canuck writer for Sportsnet.ca. Ian, thanks for joining us. How are you? Are, are things settled? Are they a little quieter today? A lot to look forward to in Canuck land. Well, uh, Monday there was assistant GM who happened to be the first uh, woman in Canucks management. Uh, today there's a new GM who happens to be the first Swedish GM in, in the NHL. So tomorrow, who knows? But I don't think Jim Rutherford is, is done. Well, I know he's not done. They're still going to add, I think, to their analytics department. Uh, they're reassessing their, their scouting and how they, how they do things and who they have doing it. So there will be there will be more changes, but today was the big one. Patrick Alvin is the first uh, first Swedish GM, not just for the Canucks but for the National Hockey League. It's a fun week. So you know a number of names. I mean, hey, you know Jim's in his seventies. 
He's got people he wanted, but he understood you got to be, you know, you got to go through the process. You got to look at different people. You got to diversify. So I give him credit. So, you know, he's, he's going to re- reshape the office. But look, he took Derek Clancy back from Calgary, one of his right-hand men as assistant general manager. Uh, you wrote a great article on Emily Castonguay. I mean, that was a very inspired, different hire, but she's assistant general manager. So it's not like, you know, the guy he was going to get all the time, in my opinion, in, in uh, Patrick Alvin, who they worked together in Pittsburgh, is the GM. But he's already put the other pieces in place, which says to me, and I think it's a good thing, that – I mean, Jim Rutherford ain't going to give up the ship for a bit, for a little bit of while. You know, Jim Rutherford's going to put the template uh, in place, in my in my perception, and he's still going to be the the guy making decisions for the foreseeable short term or medium future. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I do, and especially the big decisions. Uh, Rutherford actually, uh, I wouldn't say bristled because we haven't seen him bristle yet, but. Um, kind of shot down the idea that that he would be making all the short-term decisions in fact i just went through went through the transcript he said no 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 so that was four no's about that idea saying saying that uh, patrick is the gm and he will be making the decisions and doesn't need to come running to the to the president with each one but i i mean let's be uh, honest about this as well that there's there's uh uh, incredible level of comfort and familiarity there between uh, Jim Rutherford and Patrick Aldine. And also Rutherford said when he was hired by the Canucks, uh, it feels like a year ago, but it was actually uh, just a month and a half ago. He said when he was hired uh, and he was asked about what kind of GM he might uh, bring to the organization and he said, well, if it's a, an entry-level GM, he can see he can see uh, uh, a relationship where Jim is mentoring and the new GM is learning on the job. And that's, that's essentially what we have now with, with Alvin. It is a really, uh, I have to say, uh, and I've been covering the team a long time. It is an interesting vision that, that Rutherford is executing here where he stated when he arrived that he, he, he wanted to bring together uh, a management team and and really a hockey operations team where there are some uh, divergent experiences that people have gotten to this point through uh, varied uh, means in hockey. He didn't want just homogenous views and, and everyone to have had the same experiences. And he certainly seems to be executing that vision with the people that he has hired where, where they, they do have some, some innovative hires here and, and people who are going to bring different uh, experiences to the hockey ops discussions. And I'd, I'd love to be able to sit in on some of those discussions. I don't think they'll let me, but they do have a lot to talk about because there's some work to be done with this team. I appreciate that uh, Jim's saying that Patrick will come in and, and, and make decisions, but he didn't get to decide as assistant general manager. And no. I think that's that's the clearest indication that, we can hire as many people as we want, but there's only one chef in the kitchen here, and that's Jim Rutherford. Did that raise any eyebrows at all that you name an assistant general manager uh, and the GM doesn't have a say in that? Well, I think probably the GM did have a say in this because Patrick Alvin was in for his interview last week, uh, and it was reported uh, – 
by Frank Cervelli and others uh, quite some time ago that Alvin was the front runner. And I think that Rutherford probably knew late last week that uh, this was going to be his guy. And obviously the, there would have been discussions with with uh, uh, Emily Castonguay before that. But I, I'm I'm guessing, and this is just a guess on my part, that he that Alvin would have had some say because they didn't announce uh, Castonguay to this week. And if if he really didn't want her as an assistant GM, I don't think I don't think she would be here. There was also just a pragmatic need uh, to fill some of these spots in the organization. Derek Clancy, whom you mentioned, has an old relationship with with uh, Rutherford as well, going back to the Penguins. But you know they they hired him um, you know within within the week it was Rutherford's I think first week on the job, and that was because there uh, uh, there wasn't a crisis but a crisis organizationally was possible because there were so many empty offices in hockey ops so they hired Derek Clancy uh, they hired Castonguay and there will I believe I will. I think there will be a third uh, AGM at some point, and that hire will be uh, all Veens. So it's uh, it, to your point, Rutherford is definitely in charge, and, and he is—he's ultimately the one who, who, as president of hockey operations, naturally he's going to have the final say on on everything uh, that happens, and, and especially the big things. But I think he's been very conscious when he's been assembling his staff that he's finding people who are going to be able uh, to work together. And I don't think Alvin would have any objections to to Emily Castonguay. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been hired. Couldn't, couldn't wait a day, two days, just to make it optically look a little better? Yeah, I don't think he was worried about the optics. And, and you know, I, again, I think you got you want to get the right people. And I think Vancouver in, in Rutherford, Bruce Boudreaux, um, two really, really good hires, experienced hires. So um, I, I just thought if there's going to be a Swedish general manager, Ian, it was going to be one of the Sedins. I mean, like, like yeah. where's that at? Because didn't they just get brought in with a little bit of fanfare and wasn't the understanding there's some meat on the bone with this job? They're not going to be going out to the, you know, um, uh, the, the, the Canuck dinners and all that things. I mean, right. all those all those ex-Canucks sat there for a couple of days when Boudreaux, when there was no general manager watching practice, and they seemed to be, they seemed to be borderline like frozen out. Yeah, it, it may it may seem that way. Uh, I don't think uh, they're frozen out. But as far as as far as their role for these openings, knowing the Sedins as I do, because uh, I've covered them from when they arrived and I've stayed in uh, in touch with them since they stopped playing, they are so respectful and have so much humility that they're very aware. Uh, they know what they don't know, and the reality is they are uh, seven months in to uh, their post-playing education on the hockey business, and, and I think I think they're they're still trying to f- figure out what it is they like and what they don't like. They have they've absolutely been all in, like the uh, they're putting in as many hours as anybody. They're the most, as you noted, they're they're the most common uh, frequent spectators 
at uh, any Canuck practice, and not just here, but even you know the farm team in in Abbotsford, anything that the organization. It was the same way when when Jim Benning was the GM, and of course it was Benning uh, under whose watch they were brought in. They've been they've been included in everything, but they're still very much learning the business, and I think trying to figure out where their passions are. I mean, certainly they have passion for hockey, but these are smart guys who could do, um, you know, a lot of things with their lives. And they're, they're right now, I think, enjoying uh, learning the business. And they're now in the unique position where they're going to learn under two different regimes in their first year. And, and how things will be done with under Jim Rutherford are going to be different than how things were done under Jim Benning. So they're, they're going to learn a lot. Both Alvin and Rutherford have spoken very highly of them. I don't think it's lip service, and uh, I think the Sedins will continue in an advisory role. And when they are ready to do more and and maybe figure out what it is about the business that really appeals to them, you know, as far as a specific role, then I think there'll be roles found for them. Uh, I think this is as much about them right now as it is about Rutherford or Alvine, and that they haven't they haven't uh, been elevated from the roles that they were initially given in June. We're joined with Ian McIntyre, Canucks writer for Sportsnet.ca. Ian, is, is there a sense at this point how Jimmy Rutherford's going to approach the rest of the season, i.e., the trade deadline? Here, uh, there's no question that the the, the Bruce Boudreaux effect is, had crept them right back into uh, respectability. Anyways, when it comes to what potentially can look like a, a playoff race, but jumping over five teams still and Jimmy's reputation for what he was able to do with the Pittsburgh Penguins on, Hey, let's, let's fix this thing quick here. Uh, yeah. Is, is, is there a sense here? What, what might be coming down the pike here uh, towards a trade deadline? Well, I think there's going to be some action for sure. I mean, Rutherford averaged, it's hard to believe, but he, he averaged roughly a trade per month when he was in Pittsburgh in season. And so he's already one and a half trades behind because he hasn't made one yet uh, for the Canucks. But part of, uh, urgency is too strong a word, but part of the push to get the GM job settled and have somebody on the ground as the new GM now, rather than in two weeks or in a month, was to give uh, the person time before the March trade deadline to have his own look at the landscape. I think Rutherford probably knows uh, that uh, what the shortcomings are. Not probably. He knows what the shortcomings are for this team, what, uh, where they lack personnel-wise. And he has said himself, and he said it publicly, that you know, it's very unlikely this team is going to be in the playoffs. Um, so he's so he's a realist. So there are going to be some moves. The question is, do they just um, sort of make the obvious and, and fairly small moves that they can make now? You know, um, Spencer Martin has been a great story this week. They're the team's minor league goalie, third-string goalie. Is there anybody who needs goaltending depth? Can they get something for him? Can they can they um, find a way to get Yaroslav Halak to waive his no movement clause so that they can harvest an asset for him uh, because he's on a one year contract? 
and the Canucks really don't want to have to be on the hook for his bonus overages next year. So Halak is going to be a story. But is it going to go beyond that? There's been lots of talk about JT Miller. Could JT Miller be traded now? Could he, you know, he's, he's got through next season under contract, but are the offers for him going to be so much better now that it's worth the Canucks making that move uh, at this trade deadline rather than in the summer or the start of next season or the next trade deadline? Uh, they're going to have a decision to make on, on Brock Besser, who's due a uh, $7.5 million qualifying offer. Can they live with that? Does that make sense for them? If it doesn't make sense, uh, what do they do? Do they look at moving Brock Besser? Now, those are those are uh, those last two examples. Those are hugely impactful decisions that could affect the organization for years. Uh, I don't know if those ones are going to get made this spring or whether or whether they'll come farther down the line. But essentially, all of this is predicated on them determining: Does this team have a chance? to actually make the playoffs? And if so, is it a threat to do anything in the playoffs? And if the answer to either of those questions are no, I think they're going to start to look long-term and figure out, okay, we may, we'll take a step back now so that we can be better two or three years from now. Those would be much more difficult uh, moves to make, certainly bigger moves to make than if they decide just to try to let this team compete add a little bit here or there and see, you know, take another run at it next year. Five um, points. Just, uh, sorry, Gord, five points behind yeah. Dallas. Dallas has uh, two games on hand. Just quickly, and before we get to Gord, are we looking at uh, 10 days, two weeks? When is it going to be definitive one way or another for this organization on whether they're in or out? Yeah, well, if if they keep losing, it's going to be less than two weeks because already, uh, you know, five points with a bunch of teams between them and several of them with games in hand, that's already uh, a fairly significant uh, abyss, you know, from if you're being realistic about it. So this is this is suddenly looks like, uh, and maybe it would look this way anyways with the hires they've had this week and the new GM, who who by the way is going to meet the team in Winnipeg when they open their four-game trip there on Thursday. This, this road trip suddenly f- feels like it has a lot of gravity. That there's, It's not just this playoff push or this playoff race that uh, is going to be determined uh, by it, but maybe the next couple of years f- for the organization. Because if there, if, there if there is a feeling that they're out, then we're more likely to see these moves. But I, I think, uh, and Rutherford said today how impressed he's been during the the current COVID crisis for the Canucks where they've had, you know, missing both goalies. They've had five key players uh, out of the lineup for the last uh, three home games due to COVID. They had, you know, missing players on the previous road trip. Rutherford has really liked how they've competed and they have played, played their butts off. I think as long as they keep seeing that level of compete and the team is winning enough games that they're kind of at least in the vapor trails of the playoff race, I don't see any urgency on their part to start uh, dismantling things right away. We still have, what, almost seven weeks to the trade deadline, uh, more than seven weeks. So um, I don't think it's going to be in the next week or two that we start seeing transactions, but uh, certainly there will be some moves between now and the trade deadline. 
Uh, just my last one for me anyway, uh, the um, big buddy of mine and everybody in hockey, great to see the Bruce Boudreaux story. Well, you're close to it. What especially has made this click? Well, I think he was the the, the right guy at the right time. I, I think, I think a, any kind of coaching change was going to probably be beneficial because there had just been – such a a dark cloud accumulate and sit over the the waning days of the Jim Benning era and and Travis Green, I don't think he was culpable uh, for much in that bad start by Vancouver, but he he was he was part of the change and he was he was part of that dark cloud. So any any kind of you know significant coach managerial change was I think going to have some benefit in just kind of clearing the air letting players take a breath and, and start over. But Boudreaux's positivity and, and enthusiasm and his willingness to, to basically empower the players. You know, like Quinn Hughes wants to kill penalties. Okay, we'll, we'll, let, you, we'll let Quinn Hughes try that. Uh, this guy wants to play more. Okay, we'll, we'll give him more opportunity. And then, it, then the onus is put on the players. Okay, this is what you want, so so show me. And a lot of guys have been doing their best to show Bruce Boudreau and 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 Jim Rutherford what they can do. So I think he was just the right guy at, at the right time. He got their top players, uh, particularly Besser and Pedersen, uh, playing a lot better. He got other guys uh, like Quinn Hughes playing more. And Hughes was already having an excellent season. And then, of course, you had in Thatcher Demko, the best goalie in the National Hockey League in December. And, and when you have, you know, you're getting that from your best players, then the, then the team is going to be better. Um, whether it's sustainable, it, it's unlikely, I would say. But certainly it's been a really good uh, first impression of Boudreaux here in Vancouver. Ian, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Ian McIntyre, Canuck writer for Sportsnet.ca. Gord, that department in Vancouver is going to grow real quick here. Yeah, I, uh, you know, uh, how many advisors can you have? And, hey, uh, and, and I don't Gordon. care. Good on, pe- good on people getting jobs and everything, and but how, th- how things really he, work. Uh, <laughs> Ian said they're going to hire a third assistant general manager it's like you you once you you were there you you know what the ins and outs of an organization and and who needs to be hired and how much work is truly there for people to i I cannot believe there'd be enough work i can't i can't think of a bigger waste of money than hiring a third assistant gm well and particularly because you know now with the internet and everything, you, you, there used to be a lot more media responsibilities because you walked out and there was the media. So you end up, that, that was a big time-consuming thing. Now it's like the, the President of the United States or Prime Minister of Canada talking, like you get a, you know, Chuck Fletcher hops on today and last year, last week is Kenny Holland. And yeah, I, I just, you could have, wait, you could have too many advisors. You could have too many advisors. What do they all do? I agree. I agree. I mean, that you, you want to hire, um, you, you want to hire quality people. You want to surround yourself with good people. You want them to have enough to do. Nothing worse than when you don't. What do you, you know, sitting around coffee and I don't know, playing cards, and then you just keep coming up with more stuff and more stuff and making more work and causing more problems. 
Anyway, I'm not saying it'll work that way, but I'm just saying it can go that way. Uh, let's bring in Sammy as well here. Uh, did you guys see, I think uh, maybe a week ago, somebody had a list of every team's analytic department. Were you guys able to find that at all? Did you ever take a, a look at it? What what what, what did you want us to look at though? No, like how just many, how just many in terms of what? Yes, yeah, the size and the names, and I don't think it. Sammy, who's got the biggest analytical department in the NHL? What is it, Toronto Maple Leafs? Yeah, for sure. But, uh, how many? They've got six how pages many? of people that work for the Leafs. The Leafs have six <laughs> pages of people. So <laughs> how, how many people them. in that department? Ten. Uh, I, I, I have no idea. But no, but if, if you're doing it, whether you like it or not, it's a lot of people to compile all the intermission, uh, all the information, Kippy and, and uh, Sammy. There it is. You I know? don't like tw- tw- uh, twelve. To, to your answer, Sammy, twelve was what I counted for the Leafs. Some Kippy, two have or you three. Been in the pre- have you have, have you been in the press box this year? No, I have not. Okay, so Sammy and I will tell you, can one of those 12 be in charge of getting new chairs that are high enough to see over? Like somebody put the cheapest, first of all, they're cheap, which is fine. Okay, I worked for an owner that was thrifty. But they, they put new chairs in, and they're low. I, you're at like at the kids' table at Christmas. Like, you know, did, My did, back? Yeah, they're brutal, kills. aren't they? Yeah, and the average time doesn't I leave care there. I get that. The average listener. But, I mean, like, it just was so <laughs> dumb. It's so dumb. You're looking going, are you serious? Could no, could no one get the right height where you're supposed to sit? See, <laughs> you guys haven't caught on yet. They they don't want you there. They just, I can't even find, yeah, I can't even find it, a phone. They, I can't find a phone they, book to bring anymore so I can sit on it. They, they, <laughs> want, you, they want you so uncomfortable that you don't come back. I think that's the plan. <laughs> that's an excellent point, Kipper. But, you know, all, all kidding aside here, you've got a salary cap. You can't give it to the players anymore. So mm-hmm. who doesn't have a salary cap? Coaches, general managers, presidents, scouts. Yeah, but more isn't, more isn't better, Department. Kippy. How, yeah, quantity is, doesn't mean quality, and I'm not talk, I'm no, talking anyone. But, like, but, you know, so for some of them... But for some of them, they think it uh, it 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 looks better. I guess it's uh, makes us look and feel more important that we're 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 spending money in the right place. I, I don't I guess know. The board, Gord, what do you I think? Mean, the board is it? The board does it satisfy? Like you know, is it because the Raptors had success, won a championship, and you know, Masai hired a, a ton of people? And I'm, uh, I'm like, I'm not, no, I'm not knocking all this. I'm just saying if there's uh, suitable jobs and and it all works and it's cohesive. Uh, but if uh, if it starts uh, if it starts falling through the cracks a bit, it can be problematic. And we still know that there's some teams that, uh, like the Toronto Maple Leafs, if you've got a dozen people on this, uh, for, certainly Kyle Dubas believes in it and is looking for every which way to improve. And no question, we, we, we believe that the Leafs are a team that uh, could contend for a Stanley Cup if they make the right changes. But there's others that, uh, like Tampa Bay, that think that they can still win championships and don't need to hire much more than two or three people in the department. Well, I I think it's important to have different perspectives on things and having lots of different perspectives on different, you know, sort of things. But I definitely think that you can get to a point where there's too many people 
chiming in. I mean, I've been to I've been to parties with my friends where you have too many people chime in on a situation, and it gets to a point where you don't really want to hear of certain people's opinions on certain things, and that can create. Uh, that can create a little bit of animosity between people, I would imagine. No, you could probably create animosity amongst your amongst your team if you have that many people weighing in on different things. I don't know. I think it's a little bit of overkill having 12 people or whatever, but I can also understand having the different perspectives on things and having something new that you didn't think of. But yeah, seems like a bit overkill. Well, Car- Carolina, is, Carolina is one of those teams you're talking about because the, the owner doesn't want to spend money. And, uh, you know, and then, and then you have an organization that's willing to spend money in Philadelphia, and Bob Clark flat out tries to throw Ron Hextel under the bus, even though Ron Hextel's bus right now is in the playoffs in Pittsburgh, but just saying, yeah, we got all these resources, and he didn't use us. He did it all himself. So, I mean, there, there's, there's the example of what, or, or an example of what I'm talking about. We just had uh, Scott Niedermeyer on the show, and we talked about the success of Anaheim so far, but uh, all three California team guys uh, <laughs> doing uh, some things that uh, I didn't think were uh, they were capable of doing, and we see the Kings, and all of a sudden there's talk about having enough assets to maybe take a, a run at uh, uh, Chikrin, and then there's the San Jose Sharks who have gone through this... Uh, with Evander Kane uh, terminating his contract, and yet uh, they're slightly on the outside looking in, uh, but there are they are in the thick of things. But uh, got some horrible news about uh, Eric Carlson, who will be out as as, a, as long as what six weeks, guys. That's mm-hmm. it's pretty devastating to San Jose. Oh yeah, no, it, it is, and I, I still, you know, it's funny. I, I the LA Kings are the one and again because of Luke Robitaille, Rob Blake. I, I like the plan they've had in place. San Jose, are they going at it one year, one year too late? You know, they could be, but certainly uh, if they make the playoffs, Carlson getting back would be huge. And Kippy, I got a text. Someone said to ask. I'm going to throw a name at you because you understand how it works. And Scott Niedermeyer, what a great guest. Him and Paul Correa heading up the search for the new general manager in Anaheim. Uh, you know uh, that the NHL, Gary Bettman's quite often a guy that places people. Is very not, not everyone, but quite often he's very much involved in who can get jobs in the 32 different organizations. The name George Peros, uh, well-connected in the NHL, apparently uh, tight with the Samueli, who have been owners for the Ducks for many, many years. Um, what do you think of that name, Kippy? Gordon, anytime you, you look at that department, uh, it the days of of a Coley Campbell holding on to that position for ten or fifteen years are, are gone. Uh, I think I think it's probably run its course for a guy like George in that department, and we're probably going to see uh, somebody come in there and not hold on to it much more than four or five years. And there's no question you you take that job with the thoughts of your next job. And the natural transition would be to a managerial position of some sorts. There's no question that George wants that job. I know he'd love that job. I'm sure they've had discussions with George already. Uh, whether or not they feel he's ready or not remains to be seen. Certainly when you're talking about the the George Peroses of the world and Sean Burks, another name who I heard uh, interviewed exceptionally well in Vancouver, uh, Aquilini apparently was very impressed with Sean Burke and Aquilini very much involved in in the interview process in Vancouver, much like uh, uh, the owners in Anaheim are as well. But 
those guys will have to come in. And it, the sense is, Gord, that uh, they're not really interested in, in paying somebody two and a half or three million dollars. But if those guys can come in and fall anywhere between a million and one five, I, I think there's a chance. There's always a chance that we could see the next up and comer in, in George or Sean Burke step in there. Well, it'd be uh, that'll be interesting. Like I said, those are the kind of names. So, I mean, you would think uh, if that's the kind of name, they could get him sooner rather than later. But, you know, Sammy and I are going to be busy tonight, Kippy, while you're sitting back in your in your wherever you are now. I don't even know where you are now because you sold your house. But uh, we're going to be – you'll be listening to us because Anaheim, with or without George Peros right now, and the Leafs, the one visit by the Ducks. And uh, we got our game tonight on uh, on Sportsnet Radio Network. So looking forward to it. So you, you hosted – uh this morning uh your yeah. uh gig on uh channel 91 what is yeah. it again sirius xm channel 91 NHL sirius Network X- Radio. Yeah, channel 91 yeah. that's right i mean I, when i think of channel 91 i think of you it's like that it's just automatic it's pretty emotional man and then you you're, you're on our show and now you're gonna do pre and post for the leafs tonight for for the fan 590 yeah and so sammy that it yeah, yeah but you, you, you're the double header or the triple header, triple mm, header, Gord. True. It's got to be a new record. Is there a broadcasting yeah. record that Gord just set? Is this this should be held higher than even Yendel's consecutive streak? Did <laughs> it not? The the, the three in, in one day. Yeah, the Keith Yandel. I'm doing the Keith Yandel today. That's it. The Keith Yandel. I want more better back results, there. right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what do you think of the streak? I, think, oh. I love the streak. I love the streak, boys. I'm just upset that we had to watch another no fans hockey game tonight. I'm watching the okay, Raptors I, last night. It's so hard to get into it, boys. Okay, I, I streak, don't want to. I, I, I know to we get... have to go. Here's my line. You'll like yeah. this, Kippy. The streak is like what a great day it's supposed to be for Keith Yandel, but the Flyers are playing so terrible. So it's like the joy of your first child being born, and someday I'm sure that's something Sam can appreciate as well. But then finding out that day you got fired from your job unexpectedly, right? It's all, like it's almost like that. Like he sets the record, and then afterwards you're talking about losing 13 games in a row. Yeah, franchise um, record. Yeah, I think if you, it's it's always. With these guys, too, when you've gone that long, you're at the end of your career, and I know there was some talk about him missing a, a start in Florida, and then there was a bit of a swell, but usually it kind of comes with that being the biggest story <laughs> when it's all said and done. It's very seldom that I think you, you get to do it on a, on a team contending for a Stanley Cup for whatever reason. Yeah. And it, it's, it's tough in Philly right now. Make no mistake about it. Like this... Gord, you followed this organization right from the get-go. Uh, can you ever recall it this bad? The Flyers? Yes. No, no, and and that's a big statement because, you know, I'm trying to think when, I mean, they took Nolan Patrick second overall in that, but I think that was more of a, uh, well, bad name to bring up, but just with what Clarky said last week, but but uh, that was kind of planning of a rebuild and a retool. No, this this, this is, I would say, ever, because they were the gold standard of the uh, second, second six teams that came in in 1967. They very soon, St. Louis initially, but then became the gold standard. So I, th- I th- probably it's about how low can you go, and this may be it. Where do you think Claude Giroux ends up? I got a team right now. What's your team? Colorado. 
Yeah, somewhere good. Somewhere good. Somewhere he wants to go. Somewhere good. Somewhere nice. Go. And then you still come back to Philadelphia if you want. If if you like what's going on in the offseason, you can still nah, be a flyer over. again. No, nah, he's not going back to Philly. It's over. It's I'm over. just saying Move hypothetically. On. You never know. Okay. Do you believe Chuck when he says he could stay if he wants? Is that one of those public, you know, cover my ass uh, comment? Yeah. And it's like, I can't drive you to the airport fast enough. Give me my yeah, first rounder. Just, yeah, just because we have all your equipment packed and outside, you really can stay <laughs> as long as you want. Don't, don't, just, it was cleaning day right in your locker. So don't, don't read it. Don't read anything into it. Yeah. Sammy, you got a you got a fantasy like Gord had one with Scott Niedermeyer in the Leaf uniform. Could you see uh, a Claude Giroux playing uh, wing with uh, Marner and Matthews? I've always loved Giroux's game, competitive guy. But for the uh, for the asset that's going to take to acquire a guy like that, I would much rather them use that for the back end of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think they I think they could use a defenseman much more than they could use Giroux, like Giroux. But uh, I would like them to add a defenseman of note with the uh, asset that's going to cost you to get Claude Giroux. So there's my thought on that. Right. And just a quick bit of breaking news before we go out. We're talking about fl- the Flyers. A former Flyer, Jeff Carter, agrees to a new two-year contract with the Penguins with a 3.125 million AAV. So there you go. Wow. Wow. That's a good deal. That was that Probably last made year was 100 a, million th- his career. Yeah, that what's, was a real hockey three? trade last year. That wasn't just a trade deadline deal. So, you know, it's interesting if we'll get like Anthony Mantha was a real hockey trade. Now, by the way, Kippy, it says we're supposed to be out at 450. I know that you never kept time on TV. Like are we running late or are we okay? What's the score? No, I think Gordon, I think there's oh, it's 455. Out. That's you, Sam. You get a typo here. We're out. <laughs> what a shock. When when I say we're out, Gord. I know, I know, but I'm trying to be nice here. It said 450, and we keep going, so I'm glad. I'm glad. Now You're already on your next show, Gord. <laughs> hey, your mind's already on the next show. No. You've already bailed on us. Here I no, am. No, I, no. I call you... you up from the minors, and you can't I'm even you... play 60 minutes, Gord. I... I'm giving oh. you a full 60 minutes here. We got no our show tonight. We got a, we got network breaks. You got to hit spot on, and Sam's Sam's strict on that. So this one yeah. we have a little bit of flexibility. But uh, no, I hey Kippy, I'm looking forward to it. And like we said, condolences to uh, certainly Justin Bourne and his family. But uh, hey, looking forward tomorrow. We'll talk about the game tonight and much more. How about that? We will. And um, yeah, great having you on board today, Gord. Uh, a great two hours. Keep an eye on Josh Mance in there, Sammy tonight. Wouldn't he look yeah. good in blue and white? I've got him circled on my big board, Kip. All right. We'll circle and uh, come right back at you all tomorrow. And we'll start off by uh, looking at what we just witnessed from from tonight's game. Josh Manson. There'll be a few of them we'll talk about. We're all right back at you tomorrow on Real Kipper and Born. Gord Stellick will join us again. Our thanks to Sammy, Derek, and for all of you listening, give us a rating and review if you get a chance on any podcast platform. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you tomorrow.